Hey there, Yag here. Before we go on to today's episode, I would like to share with you an amazing podcast that I came across recently. The Salesman Podcast, hosted by Will Barron, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you work in sales, want to learn how to sell, or discover the latest in sales news, check out the Salesman Podcast, where Will helps sales professionals learn how to find buyers and win business in a modern, effective, and ethical manner. In fact, the recent episode on sales effectiveness was one of my personal favorites. The episode goes on to throw light on how sales effectiveness boils down to better alignment across the org. To be specific, it talks about how better alignment can improve your deal closure by 67%. So once again, I highly recommend you to give the Salesman Podcast a listen wherever you get your podcasts. And now to our show. Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast. The number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff. No more vanity metrics. Live from India. Made for the world. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of the ABM Conversations podcast. And this is me, your host Yag. In today's episode, we are going to discuss how to build a strong product marketing team that hits it out of the park. To discuss that, today we have with us Vukashin from Lemlist, popularly known as Vuk. Vuk is the head of growth at Lemlist and is a rock star that every SaaS company would want to have on their team. Also, there's something very magical about Lemlist. It's one of those companies that went from zero to eight million in annual recurring revenue in less than three years. Being part of the startup ecosystem, I can certainly tell you that this is not easy. And Vuk specifically has been instrumental in helping Lemlist to achieve two million in such a short span. And while we were having our exploratory call before this episode, I could clearly see his passion for product marketing. So without any further ado, Let's get going. Vuk, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Hey, Ag, thanks for uh, thanks for having me and uh, thanks for all the kind words. And uh, if it's worth mentioning, a few days ago, we just uh, managed to hit a 10 million ARR milestone, which uh, makes me extremely happy. Wow, that is amazing. That is great news and certainly, uh, you know, calls for a celebration. That is so amazing. And I think that's a great place to start as well. Here's the thing, you know, I've been wondering and I would like to start with this question. Almost everyone has their own definition of what product marketing is. And uh, in fact, when I'm conducting an interview for the PMM role, I almost always get different answers from different people all the time. Why is product marketing, you know, often so very misunderstood? And what do you think this entire PMM journey entails? I totally agree. I think uh, I had the, the same situation of uh, all of us just defining product marketing in different ways. But, you know, f- for me, ultimately, it comes down to handling bottom of the funnel and being passionate about the way you talk about the product and the way you make product work for your users. Now, that can be a product or any product, really. But uh, ultimately, I think there are, there's like a lot of roles, you know, even even when you have a you know job ad that's a product marketing manager, sometimes people, 
I guess, think that there's a bit of product marketing in it. Some people think there's more product manager kind of responsibilities in there. But, uh, you know, I think it's just the world we live in. Even uh, marketing roles overall have all kinds of <laughs> titles, you know, from gurus to experts <laughs> to manager, this manager. that. I think it's the product marketing is the same. But the trick with product marketing is, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, it's the toughest uh, hire to find. Oh, 100%. I'm with you on that. You know, that's one area I've been struggling for more than two months now. So (laughs) I absolutely agree. And, you know, the thing is that uh, one thing that I've often noticed with product marketing is that the definition changes also with the company size. For example, if you look at a relatively mid-sized company, there are specific people for content marketing, for GTM, for sales enablement, so on and so forth. Whereas in an organization size like ours at Avoma, you know, there's going to be one person who is taking care of the entire product marketing cycle. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, I guess to to go back to uh, your previous question, I think we can say that uh, what do you consider as main responsibilities of a product marketing manager? Like, what would you say that the person has to deliver that for you? I think, you know, it comes down to communicating about features to your audience, driving product launches, feature launches, and then making sure that users actually, you know, use it in the right way, or if they're not using it to find better ways to communicate about them. You also want somebody who understands user retention models, somebody who understands churn and is able to kind of mix marketing part of a brain, you know, creative part of a brain with a more data slash analytical type and uh, combine that into something that can deliver you increased customer lifetime value, uh, people using uh, features in the long run and not turning away from your product, right? Yeah, Yeah, that is exactly why this role is so difficult to get, you know? Yeah, yeah. I can't agree more. And, you know, generally anyone who invites you on a podcast or an event mostly asks you about growth, obviously, because of the numbers uh, at Lemlist, which speaks for itself. But I'm sure a lot of that is also to be attributed to your product and your product marketing playbook. So can you take us through a little bit of an overview of uh, what your product marketing playbook looks like? Yep. Yeah, definitely. I think for context purposes, I mean, any SaaS person will definitely relate to that. You know, when people come to Lemlist, you start with a free trial. And then you become, uh, hopefully, a paid uh, customer and a happy customer in the long run. So it starts with a uh, conversion rate from the free trial to paid and making sure that that wow moment or aha moment or however you want to label it comes fast enough. It should even come before that, before people come to free trial. But free trial is like the first touch, you know, figuring out, okay, yes, this is the product I need. I completely understand how it solves my pain. I want to use it. And then from that point on is uh, just making sure that if, you, if you're if you attacking uh, different uh, audiences and that uh, the, your product can shape to their funnel, to the way they operate and, uh, you know, give them all the features they need, integrations they need, and to make sure at the bottom, like uh, at the end of things, that the communication about that is clear, that the content is creative but also easy to understand and that there is a way for your users to come to support i think product marketing interacts a lot with uh, you know support and developers as well and you want to make sure to have this communication open we use community for that purpose so i think this is all part of product marketing and this is part of our tool set where users even though sometimes it can be a positive feedback sometimes it can be constructive feedback sometimes it can hurt yeah yeah 
But uh, if you have like open channels of communication and giving people the opportunity to say, hey, I mean, I don't understand this feature or I don't see how this benefit me or I don't like your UX. I think there are some things that you can take into consideration that are part of the roadmap. Sometimes it's not just a perfect match. Like if it's not your target audience, perhaps it can, it can come to that. And I think, you know, communication and having that communication efficient between teams and knowing what to prioritize is one part. Another part of that tool set is, you know, moving people from the free trial to paid and all the content onboarding that goes in there. And then once a person is in the in the product itself, you want to see educating them about uh, uh, specific features. If there's a new feature, communicate it with them. If you're doing something, uh, VIP agency launch, so you want to have the way you do these kind of things, the way you do soft launches, the way you show something that's, you know, uh, brandly new and uniquely different and big and kind of move it through the soft until the official launch. And, uh, you know, ultimately the, the flip side of the coin, you want to be careful about some red flags in the sense of, What's the difference between an active and a passive user? Like what's the red flag? You can see that person can potentially turn. You don't want to come in a situation where a person turns and then you send an email. Why did you turn? Because even though some may reply, it's usually not really ROI driven. You want to be one step ahead or two steps ahead and see, okay, this person maybe hasn't logged in. Let's say that you, you see in your product marketing that if a person logs in six times in a week, this is a pattern of an active user. And then you kind of know Oh, okay. If they log in less than five times, there's a reasonably chance, uh, like possibility, according to my data, that the person may turn. And then you want to understand why, and then you want to test different hypotheses and tactics to stop that from happening. But by creating a win-win solution, kind of okay, let's figure out this. You know, you and your users. So I think our product marketing consists of focusing on, uh, you know, converting people to paid the users, and then helping them uh, win in the long run. And if they win, we win as well. And on the other hand, you want to have this open communication and uh, people involved in that. You know, this is very, very interesting. From what you said, it also makes me ask this question. So is this also a lot to do with whether you go completely product-led or are you looking at product-led plus sales assisted? Because this is a confusion. This is a debate that typically almost every early stage SaaS company goes through or even somebody who's having a massive growth. You know, they go PLG in the initial stages, but then when they're expanding, they're going into a totally different model. So does the model have an impact on how you go about um, you know managing your product marketing activities honestly a good question uh, i think you know more marketers are kind of driven by the top of the funnel you know and inevitably you come in a situation that every marketing team usually has like more people involved in, uh, in top of the funnel stages you know awareness and uh, inspiration and all that so maybe you know during this scale during this growth phases people are more focused on acquisition and having more people coming in and then less people maybe taking care of the product and and inevitably dealing with leaks and dealing with user retention and churn it's hard it's hard stuff that's why it's i guess hard to find talented people for it or to find somebody who can become a you know talented in it and then coach them to ultimately come to this stage but uh, for me i think i consider marketing overall like me i'm not 100% in product marketing as a head of growth i need to be paying attention to the entire funnel but it doesn't make sense to have a beautiful and most creative acquisition if 
the things at the bottom of the funnel are not super optimized. Right, right. I believe in balance. You know, the same way you ask, uh, I was uh, <laughs> hearing some arguments when I was a kid. Like they all said, like there, there's no happiness in work. And I and completely that nothing is just pure joy. There are sunshines and storms that they come <laughs> and go, come and go in circles, and that's fine. But uh, to be truly satisfied, I believe you need to like or love, but let's take like as a start, the thing you do and have a good salary. If you don't have one or the other, you're going to be a bit unhappy. It's not going to feel like yep. it. And I think it's the same in growth. You want to have balance between things. You want to be good at acquisition, but you also want to be good at retention. And if you nail the two, it doesn't matter how you want to label it, like product-led, uh, uh, led this, led that. It, the most important thing is just organizing every single stage of the funnel to work like a Swiss watch, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I like it. It makes a lot of sense. You know, ultimately what matters is uh, you're going to figure out things on the go. I mean, you're going to start with one or two as a as a bet to start with, but eventually the way your customer leads you figures out. And I love the fact where you spoke about you need to really like it because one of the things that I've figured out throughout my career is that anywhere if I'm absolutely enjoying or loving the product where I have a lot of faith in the product, marketing makes a lot of difference there. So let me ask you this, like, uh, what does your uh, team look like? Like, how many PMMs do you have? And what are the kind of goals that you typically give them? Okay, so we used to have one product marketing manager, but uh, she left. So we're now actually hiring a product marketing manager. Hopefully, you know, uh, if some are listening to this podcast, I urge you to apply. <laughs> sure. You know, work together. And um, But yeah, uh, we have... Uh, I'm involved in it. Like 50% of my time is involved in product marketing. We have one person currently that's kind of like in a digital marketing role, semi-involved until a new product marketing manager arrives. And we have a product manager who's also involved, but, uh, you know, syncing different departments. But what I'm missing currently is uh, a um, product marketing manager that's way smarter than me who can um, come in and be fully focused on it and kind of really own product marketing and me, you know, helping there. So ideally, the setup will look like two plus a product manager. And then we go from there. If we need more people to bring in, we will bring them in. It's no problem. And uh, some of the people, as I said, like if we have a talented person handling the email channel, so if we want to set some behavioral campaigns or things like that, we can have a person who can handle it because... Uh, they have um, enough knowledge in uh, that channel. But uh, yeah, ideally product marketing manager plus me a bit and uh, plus that person who handles the email channel. Right, right. In fact, I'll also do a side shout out. I'm also looking for a product marketing person. And uh, so yeah, definitely, if, you know, if somebody um, comes across, feel free to apply for both Lemlist as well as for Avoma. And what are the kind of goals that uh, you look at for product marketing? One is, of, of course, you spoke about uh, converting from free to paid. That is somebody who does a trial to a paid user. And uh, do you have any specific goals in terms of, say, consumption metrics or something like that? Yeah, definitely. I think like uh, we want to be able to see uh, the, you know, have more people being active users and kind of define, especially now since product has involved and we're now in multi-channel outreach space. It's much bigger than, than the cold email space. We want to see the different, you know, uh, taking care of the metrics between active and passive users and having the right uh, set of actions for, for each. We also want to see different feature usages like uh, 
like I said, for example, the the VIP agency launch uh, that we had recently, we want to see how people are using these features. Are they using them frequently? We want to see, you know, there are some super important things that people consider complicated. Like I can give you an example in the cold email space. There's a thing called custom tracking domain. Yeah. For people who may not know is helps you measure opens and clicks the right way in the way that email providers want. If you don't do it, you're going to lower your deliverability and ultimately your emails will start landing in categories and spam. But whenever you say to a person, hey, set up your custom tracking domain, it feels like I've waked them up at 4 a.m. to do something they don't want. So <laughs> I'm really you know, curious, even though it's maybe not the precise metric as a conversion rate, like, okay, let's have more people use this and set this up and see the impact, whether this is through in-app communication or email, just because it's really important. And I think it's the, the same for every features. And then if, if you spot that uh, you've done the right thing and more people have set up custom tracking domain, great. On the other hand, if you see that some features haven't been used, then this should be communicated so that, for example, developers don't need to spend more time on this specific feature because it's not something that users want. So these are type of the metrics that I'm also curious about. And uh, obviously, you have retention slash churn and uh, how people you know, move from you know, upgrades and downgrades within the product and uh, upsells and maybe moving people from uh, monthly to annually deals. Uh, and things like that. Wouldn't that be part of, uh, say, customer success in most teams? It is, but uh, for some specific campaigns, you can potentially try and test it. It can be something that product marketing manager notices and it, they can be involved. They can collaborate with uh, inside right. sales team or support. I think it's that communication we talked about early on. Like, I think it's like having an overview of these things and then doing it as a team. Maybe it's not something that in, you know, in your team, a product marketing manager will do, but they are still, they care about these metrics and they, you know, are monitoring these kind of things. Right, right. And uh, with that, you know, let's, uh, since you also spoke about GTM a little bit, let's also get a dip into that. So if you can give me a very high level overview of like, how do you approach say, a feature release differently compared to, uh, say, a big product release? Or do you have separate checklists or what is the, what does the overall process look like? Yeah, so I guess uh, with uh, we can start with the big launches. Uh, <laughs> they are the more exciting ones, I guess. I think the, the checklist is definitely bigger because um, when we released the new version of Lamlist, the V3, when we went from V2 to V3, we had uh, this uh, specific uh, campaign that we wanted to do through a platform, I think it's called Viper, where people needed to complete a set of tasks to get some points to unlock the new version. And uh, the tasks were kind of imagined for them to use specific features or do some marketing tasks such as I don't know, subscribe to your YouTube channel or leave a review on on G2 and kind of create this some sort of a gamified way. People could select what actions do they want to perform. But the most of these actions were actually within the product, like send a campaign, send a screenshot of your campaign in the community. And people responded to that really well. And it was a carefully planned campaign, a combination of motivating users to test different features and to see. And it worked out really fine. Another thing is the the agency launch recently. I think you want to be a bit uh, uh, smarter with segmentation. I think you want to have a dedicated process of how do we handle stuff. Like if you're doing it through a type form, 
maybe you want to split people who are existing clients versus who are not currently clients if somebody applies if you want if you want to have prospects to apply and then who handles what how the communication flows are there any workflows that you need to set up and then you know doing potentially demos or having good content that's uh, distributed in the in the timely fashion to people so big launches i guess require careful planning and then execution and there's like a lot of things these are just two examples that we did in the past and that we're doing it currently and the checklist is definitely bigger and there are more people involved uh usually it's like a cross cross team kind of a project um and uh, some small things like if you launch smaller features i think I like the way Notion does it through a simple email that I've made sure that it comes to my primary tab, like a simple email and a GIF and a, a nice notification within the app, for example. Yeah, yeah. I think Superhuman also does it that way. Yes, I get it. Yeah, yeah I think like, you know, the things, it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. Like uh, we also have an in-app notification kind of system in Lemlist where that we use only for updates around features. We don't use it for marketing content so that people know that that notification, something is new in the product. I think we need to be, we need to level up a bit more in product marketing uh, as a team and especially, you know, uh, uh, me, I think you can always uh, level up, but ultimately uh, we use that for smaller features and we use the community as well. We sometimes do a post, maybe it's a video, maybe it's an explanation that potentially can lead to the FAQ if somebody wants to know more. And I think FAQ is written in a way that we do content as well. So it's uh, uh, with a lot of um, humor, with a lot of engagement and with a lot of practical use cases so that people can understand because it's never really about the feature. It's what the feature does. And uh, Absolutely. I've tested this on, on our homepage back in Q2. So if I call it Lamb Warm, cool, it's branded and people know it and it's good for the brand. But if I call it email warm-up for somebody who's who maybe is not that aware of the concept of why warming up your email address is important for your deliverability, maybe if I change the copy, stay out of spam, it will tease people to find out more information and then I become a bit more technical in the rest of the copy. So I think feature updates that are not as big as some product launch or whatever you want to call it, I think it comes down to being really creative with uh, content, but writing that content in an actionable and practical way and in a language that people can understand and then showing them really you know, in a sharp and smooth fashion, how to actually use it without overcomplicating things. And uh, I think in, in my experience, in-app stuff, like the, the homepage of your product, of your app, is the place that the people see the most. Yeah. So maybe that's part of where you want to have, kind of like Ahrefs that has that top banner where yeah, yeah. all the updates come into. Just being smart about those updates and where do you place them. So the checklist may not be as big, but uh, it's still super sharp and uh, super efficient. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one thing that I've noticed with, uh, you know, writing content for um, in-app messages is, you know, the shorter the content is, it's the more difficult to write, you know, you have to get it absolutely right. At the same time, it has to be understandable by everybody. Absolutely with you. And yet PMM is one area where it feels like, as you said, you know, it always feels like we have to level up further because it feels like we are not doing much. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, you know, as, as you grow, like having hit 10 million ARI and thinking, okay, how do we get to 100? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I still I, I still think that there's a lot of things that we could do with product marketing as it is, let alone to think about having 
the amount of users that will equivalent 100 million in, in ARR. So I think leveling up is, is really important. And uh, ultimately, that's why we're looking for, you and I are looking for product marketing managers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, smarter people than us, of course. You know, that's more important. With that, let's take a minute and talk about time. We are getting close to the end of the year. Sales teams may be thinking, what's in the next year's pipeline? Marketing might be taking time off. And there may be changes in how your customers are spending their time too. HubSpot wants to help you be efficient with your time while helping your customers feel valued for theirs. In fact, HubSpot has rolled out a ton of new tools that help your business deliver the best experience possible for your customers while being mindful of changing priorities with your sales teams. New payment tools like native payment links and recurring payments that directly embed in HubSpot's coding tools and emails mean seamless delivery and payment collection. And now, with a CRM-powered CMS, your marketers and developers can personalize the customer experience and ensure that the attention that your customers give you is reflected back at them in data that delivers the best value for their time and attention. Learn more about how HubSpot CRM platform can help build, maintain, and grow your customer relationships at HubSpot.com. You know, a large part of any successful product that especially has achieved product market fit is also the customer feedback loop that you were also talking about. And of course, Mm -hmm. uh, you guys at uh, Lemlist have a vibrant community of users around your brand. So uh, give us a little bit of insight into uh, how do you go about your customer feedback process does it majorly happen in the form of surveys or is it one-to-one conversations and more importantly what i would love to understand is uh, do you have a process to decide as to which kind of a customer request would you uh, take in and incorporate and which one do you decide to put in the back burner so on and so forth yeah 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 so i think we can start with the last thing you said uh, there's a way we kind of processize it in notion because most of the user feedback will go to support and uh, I just want to give a shout out to our support team. Yeah. Uh, that uh, is really doing an insanely good job. Support is often overlooked, in my opinion, because this is where branding starts. The way you communicate with your users and users are coming in there. And uh, to be honest, the product marketing manager that will end up joining my team, like he or she will spend some time in support because, you know, users are coming to you. Prospects yeah. are coming to you. They are sharing things they care about and it's up to support to navigate that conversation and then pass the information back through our process to developers. And then, you know, people like me or uh, Guillaume or anybody who's in uh, who's involved in these making these kind of decisions can say, OK, the impact of this feature is, you know, from one to three, three or how frequently have we heard about this feedback? And it's the same way for the community. Like the team and I are responsible for passing information from the community back using this process to the heads off and then heads off talk with developers. I mean, like we talk to our CTOs and then CTOs, together with CTOs, we plan these kind of things. So I think you want to have a process the way you prioritize and see what kind of things are uh, more impactful than the others so yeah i think this is the way you you handle this kind of uh, feedback but you also wanna you can also ask people things you can ask them by if you have for example we use customer.io yeah and a lot of information the actions they perform in uh, 
within the product is passed to customer.io. So we can say, for example, let's filter people who are not using custom tracking domain, but they have more than 10 campaigns in the past, I don't know, a month or two or two weeks. You can filter these people out, create a particular segment, and then get in touch with them. You can do user interviews, even though they might be time-consuming and everything. But for agencies and our agency launch, this has been really critical because we can see how agencies think about different things, uh, how their funnels funnels look like, and see the patterns. And obviously, you have communication and the newsletter. Like I even do some sometimes, I do a trick with the newsletter where we optimize it for replies. Right. And uh, we sometimes get useful replies. And I think if you get creative with all the infrastructure that you currently own, whether this is an email community or surveys or whatever the case may be, you you want to do that and you want to make sure that the, your customers know when they share that with you and they took the time to fill your survey or meet with you or leave a comment on your post or send you a LinkedIn DM. You want to make sure that this feedback actually comes through. And then if it goes live and it's something good, send them a message like, you know, hey, Ag, like, you know, the feature you mentioned that you wanted, it's finally live. I'm super happy to tell you that. Like, you want to have this kind of a communication. Yep. And if they see that this is happening, uh, and I think this is marketing's responsibility overall, then the users know, hey, these guys are, are you know, doing stuff that we, we asked for. So it's awesome. And on the other hand, you also want to be super transparent. If somebody who's not part of your target audience is sharing feedback that you're not going to develop, you don't want to give that generic response. Hey, you know, uh, I've added you to my list of uh, feedback and uh, the devs will see it. And if you know that that's not going to happen, don't do that. Uh, I think, yeah. you know, these micro things and uh, macro things that you do and uh, in the long run, they end up being pretty successful. Right, right. At the end of the day, it's all about the experience. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm so happy that you said this because uh, one of the things that we also make sure is that uh, every feature request that we take into consideration, we always look at uh, are we getting it from uh, our core users, our core ICP. If it's going to be a one-off request, uh, you know, we tell them that uh, this is not in the priority uh, very openly so that, you know, the expectations that we set is very clear. At the end of the day, the experience is way more important with you on that 100%. Yeah. Now that we spoke about all these things and a bit of emails, I think uh, this becomes a very interesting conversation here. You know, one common thread that we have between product marketing and growth is, of course, the email. It could be informing customers about a new feature or it could be a product update or it could be plain email outreach. And it's no secret that uh, you guys at Lemlist have cracked the email code. So what are some of the common mistakes that you see sales and marketing people make in sending out emails? I mean, the idea is if there are any practices that uh, you know people can follow to get the kind of results that you guys get. You know, ultimately, it comes down to the objective. And the uh, objective, obviously, is to increase the reply rate for everybody and then drive an outcome. And then once you have that objective, you want to be careful of not skipping steps. Like if your funnel is, for example... Send an email, get a reply, book a meeting, and then close it on the meeting. You don't want your email to be selling your product. Your email is selling the meeting. Right. Obviously, sometimes you may sell sooner. Some steps may get you know, skipped depending on the situation or a particular type of your audience. I get that. But ultimately, the goal of your email is to get a reply. And you optimize an email for a reply. I think this is number one thing. And number two is... Don't sacrifice research. Don't label research uh, as a boring component. Like you want to do research well, because if you do the research well, 
not only will your email be written in a better way, but you will have a bigger conversion rate at the end of the day because you will understand how can you tailor your copy, how can you tailor your intro line, your uh, you know your call to action, and why the hell should this person care about what you have to say? You need to figure this out in your research. Yeah. And the success of your campaign is uh, you know fifty one percent of that success is dependent on the way you do research. Yeah, and I want to call out one point here is that there is a lot of misconception in this area about what people think in terms of personalization. They think that, hey, we are part of the same group. We went to the same club. That does not help. You know, it, it is, it's all about how it's relevant to do my job right now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think it's like the wonderful marriage between personalization and relevance. Exactly. If you personalize and you're not relevant, you die. <laughs> and uh, ultimately, your email becomes you know ends up being uh, unresponded right but uh, then then on the other hand you also have the deliverability right. you have the way you send your emails and are they landing in the right place so for example i always tend uh, you know to tell users when when we hop on a call together is if your open rate is below 50% it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a problem with subject lines it may be that you have a problem with uh, your deliverability and that your emails are actually not yep. landing where people see them but they're going in different categories or worse spam and um, there's also a component of how many emails do you send like it goes back to it's the goal of outreach is never to send as many emails as you can because the way it usually works is you have a list of uh, like a thousands uh, thousands of people that you scrape from somewhere and let's blast them all an email they all have a maybe different first <laughs> right. name tag in most of the cases or sometimes the copy changes a bit. But if you're sending a high volume type of campaigns, not only is it you don't have enough time to personalize it, so there's your huge problem there, but another uh, big problem that you will face soon is that email providers are going to punish you because they don't like it. And usually when you're sending high volume stuff, it's sent as a blast. So all emails are sent at the same time. So there's a lot of things in deliverability that you want to pay attention to. You want to use a tool that sends emails in the right way, one after the other and not as a blast. And a little promo right there, Lemlist <laughs> does that. But uh, more, importantly, <laughs> more importantly, I think it's uh, sending less emails. So you want to send between 150 or 200 emails a week max because then you have enough time to personalize everything and enough time to focus on getting the highest reply rate that you can get. Because the goal is to convert as many emails, not to send as much as you can. And I think combining what we said initially with personalization and research with your deliverability practices and the way you send emails and the volume of the emails you send are are kind of like the pillars of, of success here. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that our um, CEO used to say is that uh, if you're doing a blast and uh, if you're burning bridges, then you're actually reducing your opportunity. Like you're right away from the opening, you're reducing your top funnel and uh, you're making sure that all the data that you have is absolutely out of no use. So there's no point doing that. I'm with you on that 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are like even worse things can happen. Like you burn your domain, uh, in, yeah. especially if yeah. you use your domain. blacklisted. And, uh, you know, you waste your time. Like, why would you want to spend time on something that will give you, at best, average results? But at best, that's rarely the case. <laughs> right. And right. Uh, why don't spend some time uh, initially? Or if you don't like it, hire somebody to do it for you that knows how to do the job. Yeah, absolutely. 
Amazing. So uh, with that, now that we have entered the 35-40 minute mark, uh, let's go to the next section of the podcast that we call uh, the rapid fire section. Uh, in this section, I'm going to shoot five uh, pointed questions at you. The questions might be short, but the answers need not be. My attempt is to ask you some questions where you need to be opinionated. I am trying to put you on the spot. So are you ready for that? Of course. Of course. Let me just <laughs> take a shot of tequila and we, we're ready to go. <laughs> Here's question number one. What is your number one channel of growth? Uh, word of mouth. Word of mouth. Wow. I was thinking you're going to say something like, say, email that Limlist is known for. Yeah, no, like email is part of it, but email is, uh, um, like among other channels, a contributor to word of mouth. You know, the first campaign we've sent in the past and using custom images, people saw it for the first time and it was like, holy shit, like this is so cool. Can we do that? And then every channel, the content and everything contributes to word of mouth and having a strong, like, you know, people, your competitors can copy a feature. They can copy your content. They can copy your cold email template. But what they cannot copy is your brand. And uh, I'm really happy to see that that the word of mouth is the strongest channel for us just because, you know, whenever somebody recommends Limelist or when I go over my DMs or I see the, or we have a Slack channel called Customers Law where we share these kind of things. Um, mm-hmm. It really makes me happy because, uh, you know, when I was a kid, like I, I, I was super intrigued about the fact that people buy iPhone without ever seeing an iPhone ad or the yeah. amount of Starbucks coffee cups that get shared on Instagram, uh, even though the Starbucks doesn't have the best coffee in the world. So the power of brand <laughs> for me, it's something you cannot ever beat unless you, you build a better brand, which is super, super difficult thing to do. So I would say word of mouth is the strongest, our strongest channel. I love that answer. That is amazing. All right. So here's question number two. You often say that um, optimizing things internally is the best growth marketing strategy. So can you explain that? Yeah, true that. Uh, I can give you a totally personal uh, experience back there. Like in Q1, as my team got bigger and uh, me being a doer, uh, in a sense of I like to do things myself, as a leader, you don't get to do that. As a leader, you don't want to do that because you end up micromanaging people. Right. And uh, I don't like being micromanaged. Therefore, I don't want to ever be a micromanager. So you want to coach people and you want to give them ownership to do things and you just be there to support them, to maybe outline some things that that, they may learn in the process. And you want to remove yourself operationally and let other people be, you know, driving things and support them through that. And uh, just by really having self-awareness and uh, correcting some things in the way I uh, operate and the the way the team is constructed. If I compare what we did in Q1 and Q2, completely two different things. And uh, if you optimize it internally from the way you do meetings, like I've changed completely the way I do my one-on-ones with G as, uh, you know, the founder and my boss and with the team not only are you spending less time on you know useless meetings or going back and forth, but you come and uh, focus every meeting on a super important thing or a super important deliverable, which then helps you do your job better to the you know 
strategy itself and, and KPI. So I think if you optimize things internally and uh, make your team work efficiently and work with enjoyment you know, in their hearts, like them getting excited about, oh, I'm going to do something cool today or I'm going to do a difficult challenge today, but I know that this company wants me to do that and you give them freedom to do that. It does, this helps you grow. And uh, like I said, for me, Q2 and the output that we did as a team in Q2 versus Q1, uh, you can't compare that. So if you optimize it internally, and have you know your people motivated in a position to succeed more kpis get reached yeah yeah absolutely delegating outcomes versus delegating tasks yeah makes a lot mm-hmm. of difference absolutely right so here's um, question number 3 what is your take on uh, data scrapping i mean you spoke about it a little bit but do you think it's good bad evil or is there a middle ground where you know people tend to scrape data from third party sites like linkedin so is it good or bad according to you i don't think it's a bad thing as long as you follow some uh, protocols and some rules. And we can take uh, cold email space as an example. Like if I take your professional email address versus taking your private email address, this is a huge difference. If I'm taking your professional email address and then in the second stage, I've qualified you, I've done my research and I'm super confident you're going to find benefits and uh, opportunities in what I'm about to say to you. I think this is completely legit. The same way it was legit for me to offer you lemonade if I see you running. It's that thing that you're not using private data right? and you're doing it in a cool way. So I think this is fine. But if you take private data, you send completely unrelated stuff, you're boring people out of their minds, then we have a problem. And uh, usually, you know, these people... <laughs> These people be are you know getting flagged much faster than they did in the past. Yeah, yeah, with GDPR, CCPA, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I think there's nothing wrong with it as as long as you're respecting the rules of the game and being oriented towards providing value. Right, right. Yeah, makes sense. All right, here's question number four. What is your take on the no code trend? Are you for it or against it? All for it. Uh, all for it because. Um, Devs are not that excited about marketing projects. Like you want your devs to be focused on the product because when I see how much our developers have accomplished with Lamlist and the fact that they developed some crazy shit uh, in the meantime, like uh, Lamverse, for example, as your virtual office slash universe, our recent SaaS product that that we built, you want your developers to be focused on that And you want marketing team, for example, to own your website. And having a tool like Webflow that we use gives us the opportunity to own this website and do whatever we want to do without frustrating a developer. Oh, we need to change a headline. Oh, we need to change the page. Oh, we want to A-B test that. And um, for me, no code is giving marketing the opportunity to own things and to to have more freedom in the way they operate and uh, do things. And on the other hand, keep developers focused on what they do best and that is build great products. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Being a Webflow user as well as being a WordPress user, I absolutely understand. In fact, uh, that was the first thing that Canva did for me. You know, my dependency on designers came down for all things related to social media. Yeah, I agree 100%. Here's the final rapid fire question. And I think this might help you in your recruitment as well. So what is the number one make or break factor that you're going to look for while hiring your uh, PMM candidate? Curiosity. Okay. 
That's interesting. Yeah, I think like you have to have a curious mind, in my opinion, if you want to be in marketing. Like whether we're talking about acquisition, content creation, or product marketing, you want to have people asking why, wanting to find out more, wanting to test more, wanting to challenge themselves. Can I create a better onboarding than something that was ever you know, done before? Can I create a content that hasn't been created before? And it's through curiosity that you see this passion. Like people coming to interviews, for example, um, I expect them to have questions. Yeah. I expect them to have more questions than you know, what is the recruiting process or how do you guys uh, work on a daily basis? I want them to ask questions. I want them to ask, hey, I saw that you built Lambers. What's the idea behind that? Or uh, if I if they say that I listen to a podcast, I would like to hear why do they like that particular podcast? What did they find interesting in that episode? I want them, I, I really want to see curiosity. I think curiosity for marketing is essential. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Absolutely love that. And I love the spontaneity with which, uh, you know, the word curiosity came out. I was like, I, it was, I was expecting you were probably, uh, you're going to say something related to skill. But yeah, I think curiosity kind of takes it all. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the, the pillar. Everything else of obviously like skills and, and work ethic, you want to have this T-shape kind of uh, <laughs> mentality. Yeah, yeah. But uh, curiosity is the pillar. I think it's the driver of everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is amazing. You know, you hit all the five questions out of the park with so much ease. So congrats for you on that. Thank you. As uh, Novak Djokovic would say, not too bad. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> right. So before I, you know, say my um, thank yous for your time and uh, bid you goodbye and all, I would like to ask you, is there a parting message that you would like to share um, with our audience? Just to give you some context, our audience are predominantly um, SaaS marketers in the B2B space uh, and also, uh, you know, B2B uh, salespeople as well. And uh, predominantly, these people have five plus years of experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I think, you know, I'm going to. Uh, take what may sound as a as a cliche, but uh, just get started and do you and stay the course, because uh, it has been the best advice I was ever given in the past. Because you know we as marketers have a lot of opinions. Like, is this subject line better than this one? And uh, the the real answer is let's test it. Let's just send it and see how people react and let our audience tell us. We did a lot of things, you know, at uh, Lampire where we did the things that we shouldn't have done. It's not part of the marketing playbook all the time. So, but if you strongly believe in something and uh, you want to test it, test it, see how it works. And if it doesn't, great, there's a lesson in there. Let's try again. And if it works, awesome, let's uh, pop a champagne. And I think, you know, getting started and just doing instead of making a content calendar for the next three months just create the first blog post see how it goes and uh, yeah. I think it's it's the same advice for the beginner it's the same advice I give to myself every day and it's the same advice for somebody super experienced I think uh, and uh, you know if you have you have that mentality of just doing things and uh, staying the course and uh, I think it, it, it goes a long way yeah, yeah. This definitely spoke to me. I'm a shepherd kind of a person and I'm sure, you know, a lot of people who are listening to this are going to resonate with this as well. So thank you so much for that. And uh, for the listeners, if they want to um, connect with you, where can they find you and what are the best reasons to connect with you? 
I think, you know, for us as a LinkedIn is kind of the mecca alpha and omega at the moment. So I tend to have um, a super clean LinkedIn inbox or simply shoot an email at vuketlamis.com. I can give you the details if you want to put it in the uh, description, but LinkedIn yeah, and email is the safest uh, thing. But is there any other goddamn marketer in this world? I have every single social media platform, uh, <laughs> but LinkedIn and email are the, the maybe the best options. Amazing. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Vuk. You know, I absolutely enjoyed this, um, you know, 50, 51 minutes of conversation. I think there is so much for me to go back and uh, deep dive, especially because this is the first time that we are having somebody deep dive on uh, product marketing, which is a very, very interesting domain and always lots to learn from. So thank you so much for your time and uh, sharing your nuggets of wisdom and experience. Oh yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. I'm uh, super uh, happy that we got to talk and I'm also super happy to connect with you. I think uh, we have a lot of things in common and uh, uh, hopefully we stay in touch and hopefully we hire some great product marketing managers after this episode, man. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that as well and uh, wish you the same. All right. So to the listeners of the podcast, uh, that's that from us in this episode. And uh, until we connect with you the next time with another guest and another topic, this is bye from me, Yag. Have a good day and take care. Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback, thoughts and suggestions to make the show more relevant to you. 